Okay, welcome back to Healthspan. This is part one continued of Lifespan, Why We Age and Why We Don't Have To by Dr. David Sinclair. We left off our discussion on sirtuins and its importance, and we're going to be continuing our discussion on sirtuins and its role in controlling cell division, cell survival, DNA repair, inflammation, metabolism, mitochondrial function, and other functions as well. So ever since David Sinclair's research, there's been a lot of mounting, more mounting research on the importance of sirtuins. So, for example, in 2003, Michael McBurney from the University of Ottawa in Canada discovered that mouse embryos manipulated to be unable to produce one of the seven sirtuin enzymes, SIRT1, couldn't last past the 14th day of development. So that's about two-thirds of the way into a mouse's gestation period. So we saw with the removal of SIRT1, uh, these, mouse, these mice were not able to develop at all. And one of the many reasons that this, this, is, this is hypothesized to occur was because of an impaired ability to respond to and repair DNA damage. So later in 2006, uh, three other scientists, Alt, Chua, and Motovolosky at Harvard, showed that mice engineered to lack SIRT6 underwent the typical signs of aging faster along with shortened lifespan. So again... SIRT1 was removed in these mice and they weren't able to develop. SIRT6 was removed and these mice, they underwent signs of aging and end up dying a lot earlier. And when the scientist knocked out a cell's ability to create this SIRT protein, the cell lost its ability again to repair double-stranded DNA breaks, which was exactly what he showed back in 1999. Okay, so now... They, they did knockouts of these sirtuins, but what happens when they added the sirtuin copies into these genes? So that experiment was done as well. So what they did was they added more copies of the sirtuin genes, sirt2 and sirt6, and it did the exact opposite of what happened when they were knocked out. So when sirt2 and sirt26 were added, it increased the health and extent, extended the lifespan of the mice. So this is the exact opposite of what happened when they were knocked out. These mice ended up living healthier and longer lives. So, again, going to the function of sirtuins, I mentioned earlier what they do, but I wanted to recap again uh, of, of its importance and how it works. So, remember, sirtuins are these family of histone deacetylators, and that means they're essentially removing an acetyl group from uh, this this package of chromatin and bundling it up under times of stress. So in terms of David Sinclair's analogy or definition, I'll go ahead and read it. He states that, I've come to think of sirtuins as the directors of a multifaceted disaster response corps, sending out a variety of specialized emergency teams to address DNA stability, DNA repair, cell survivability, metabolism, and cell-to-cell communication. So in a way, this is like the command center for thousands of utility workers who descended upon Louisiana and Mississippi in the wake of Hurricane Katrina in 2005. So again, these plays, the sirtuins play such a ubiquitous role, and it's as if these were a responding team to areas of disaster where you know, damage to our DNA occurs. And what is happening every day is that these sirtuins and their co-workers that control the epigenome, 
when they function, they don't always find their way back to their original gene station after they're called away. So remember, sirtuins, they're kind of sitting near these genes that help in reproduction. And when DNA damage occurs, they'll go to another area of our genome and fix whatever problem there is. But sometimes they don't always find their way back to their original station after they're called away. So uh, what is happening happening in aging? So whenever epigenetic factors leave the genome to address damage, genes that should be off tend to switch on and also vice versa. So whenever they stop on the genome, they do the same as well, altering the epigenome in a way that were never intended when we were born. So cells lose their identity and malfunction. Chaos ends up ensuing and the chaos materializes as aging. And as he states, this is the epigenetic noise that is at the heart of our unified theory. So again, there's this noise. We'll refer back to the earlier podcast about about CDs, the CD scratching and all that. And again, there's this chaos ensuing and this noise that is essentially what is going on with his unified theory of aging, which is this loss of information. So again, how does these sirtuin genes actually turn off genes? And remember, I mentioned that sirtuin genes and pretty much all cert cert families are histone deacetylators. So I'm going to go ahead and read what he writes. When the sirtuin enzyme is sitting on the mating type genes, they remain silent and the cell continues to mate and reproduce. But when DNA break occurs, sirtuin is recruited to the break to remove the acetyl tags from the histone at the DNA break. This bundles up the histone to prevent the frayed DNA from being chewed back and to help recruit other repair proteins. Once the DNA damage is complete, most of the sirtuin proteins go back to their mating type genes to silence them and restore fertility. So again, there are these tags on our genome, acetyl groups, methyl methyl groups, and determining what kind of tags are on these groups determines whether these genes get expressed or not. So acetyl groups normally help open up the DNA, and what sirtuins are histone deacetylators, so they remove these acetyl groups, and that ends up closing off the DNA in times of stress or DNA damage. So that is how sirtuins are working again. And I'm going to be moving a little bit forward, and he talks about Horvath's clock a little bit, and I'm going to keep going forward. So, he has this cool experiment in reversal comes of aging, reversal comes of age section. So, one day when David walked into his lab, one of his postdoc researchers said that uh, we have a problem. So, David, we've got a problem. And he was essentially bracing for this terrible news that happened in his lab. So, he was, uh, you know, taking deep breaths and preparing for the worst. So he says, the postdoc researcher says to David, these mice, they won't stop running. So the mice that he was talking about were these 20-month-old mice, which is equivalent to a 65-year-old human. And what happened was they were feeding these mice NAD, which would be believed to increase the activity of sirtuins. And essentially, these mice that were supposed to be stop running they ended up breaking the treadmill that they were training on 
and these mice were only supposed to run up to 3k but they ran you know a lot more because they were injected with this NAD uh, which helped boost her to an activity so he states here that one of the key one of in one of our key findings was that when treated with NAD boosting molecules that activated CERT1 enzyme the elderly mice's endothelial cells which lined the blood vessels were pushing their way into areas of the muscle that weren't getting very much blood flow new tiny blood vessels capillaries were formed supplying badly needed oxygen removing lactic acid and toxic metabolites from muscles and reversing one of the most significant causes of frailty in mice and in humans that was how these old mice suddenly became such mighty marathoners so again to recap these mice injected with NAD helped boost the CERT1 activity and increase their exercise capability. So the lining of these capillaries was responding as if these mice were actually exercising. And we this is kind of a discovery because NAD is this kind of exercise mimetic, where essentially, although we aren't exercising, we're getting this uh, mimicked effect of exercise. And this experiment was important because it's kind of one of the first to reveal that uh, exercise and this reversibility of age is actually possible. So I thought that was a cool little passage about about uh, exercise and this experiment of mice breaking the treadmill. And moving forward to this blind pandemic, blind epidemic, this is the chapter three and last chapter of part one. And in this chapter is all about aging is, as an actually disease. And in, in the Law of Human Mortality section, he starts out by saying, If the idea that aging is a disease sounds strange to you, you're not alone. And for the longest time, physicians and researchers have been avoiding saying that for a long time. So aging, we've often been told, is a simple process of just growing old. And growing old has long been seen as an, like, an inevitable part of life. And actually back then, in the 1600s, these death certificates would often have this descriptions like uh, decrepitude or feebleness due to old age. So these 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 death certificates were actually using these descriptions, and they were commonly accepted as explanations for for death. And he also goes into a story about his own mother. Her name is Diana, and when Diana was fifty years old, she ended up getting diagnosed with lung cancer so she had been a smoker for the longest time and she ended up developing lung cancer at age of 50 so that is very young and the reason she developed this was because she had inherited a mutation in the SERPINA serpina a1 gene which is implicated in COPD and also emphysema so this this meant that her clock was ticking even faster meaning her susceptibility to getting cancer was even greater than a normal person. Now, what happened was she ended up getting surgery and she ended up living two decades longer because of the surgery. So this was kind of important for in, in two ways. One, the surgeons were amazing to be able to remove her lung mass. And secondly, it also it is also important to realize that her age also played a role in helping her live longer. So remember, she was diagnosed at 50, which is pretty young. 
and this he says was the key to making her survive longer was because she was so young so he states that we know that smoking accelerates the aging clock and makes you more likely to die than a non-smoker 15 years earlier on average so essentially we we have these public health campaign campaigns and all these other legislations to help reduce tobacco and again we have so many like so much money going towards cancer research and all this research that helps uh fight certain diseases and there's just such a limited amount of money going towards aging and we know that aging makes you more likely to die as well and we've kind of accepted it as a part of life and haven't really done much research or funding for aging and we know that this process of aging actually begins a long time before we tend to notice and at this molecular level this starts happening at a time in our lives that many of us still look young and also feel young and actually if you read up of Horvath clock uh, aging begins literally from the time we're born so although certain diseases don't tend to occur tend to occur later in life all these damage is occurring you know from the moment we're we're born but luckily we have repair mechanisms and uh, you know sirtuin activity to help us with that so again aging is this disease and it's not getting it's not in the forefront because it's just kind of accepted as this thing in life that we're all gonna be dealing with eventually and he puts here that there's nothing more dangerous to us than age yet we have conceded its power over us and we have turned our fight for better health in other directions so he's not saying that cancer research and diabetes research and all this research is bad he's just stating that we're not focusing on aging which as you will find out is way more the leading cause of death than well aging yeah is the most leading cause of death compared to anything else so think about uh dr david sinclair's we're gonna move forward a little bit and talk about dr david sinclair and how we're kind of playing this whack-a-mole medicine he calls it so sinclair lives next to these hospitals and also research centers and if you think about these hospitals and research centers it's often laid out in in terms of specialty so at a specific hospital let's say on the first floor is wound care second floor orthopedics third floor gynecology and obstetrics fourth floor pulmonary care now let's let's look at our research facility one one lab you'll find a research for cancer another you'll find a lab for fighting diabetes and another one you'll find work on heart disease so all these research centers are focused on specific topics when instead we should be focusing on aging so he states that most of our modern medical culture has been built to address medical problems one by one a segregation that owes itself in no small part to our obsession with classifying the specific pathologies leading to death and you know moving a little bit forward he states that what we need are medicines that knock down all these hurdles and by hurdles he means all these things that can kill us like you know uh, cancer death heart heart attack diabetes copd stroke dementia heart failure all these things what we need are are medicines that fight all these and what are contributors to all these well aging is so wouldn't it make sense to address aging 
Now, this woman named Aileen Crimmins, who studied health, mortality, and global aging at USC, had observed that even though average lifespans in the U.S. have increased in recent decades, our health spans have not kept up. So we have reduced mortality more than we prevented morbidity, she wrote in 2015. So the prevalence of this combination of early mortality and morbidity is so prevalent now that they actually have a statistic for it, and it's called Disability Adjusted Life Year, or D-A-L-Y. And this is essentially uh, how many years we're losing because of this disability. And in the U.S., this is a dismal 23. So we're essentially losing 23 years off of our life because of some disability that we end up developing from a disease. And we know, again, that aging is a risk factor for literally everything that is killing us. Arthritis, heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, kidney disease, diabetes. It is the risk factor that is that is killing us. So, again, we need to be addressing the, the problem of aging as a whole and not just these specific things. Again, not that these specific things like cancer and diabetes are bad. It's just that if we focus on aging, which can cause all these things, well, we might be making more advances when it comes to age. So consider this. Though smoking increases the risk of getting cancer fivefold, being 50 years old increases your cancer risk a hundredfold. By the age of 70, it is a thousandfold. So again, smoking, it'll increase your risk of getting cancer by fivefold. But being 70 years old increases your risk of getting cancer by a thousandfold. So again, ponder that for a second. Now, according to the Merck Manual of Geriatrics, a malady that impacts less than half the population is a disease. So aging, of course, it impacts every single one of us. And therefore, we cannot call aging a disease because it affects all of us. And essentially, because this geriatric manual states that less than half the population has to have this for it to be called a disease, we cannot call aging a disease. So the manual therefore calls aging an inevitable, irreversible decline in organ function that occurs over time, even in the absence of injury, illness, environmental risk, or poor lifestyle choices. So this manual is obviously wrong about aging. Um... It's not calling it a disease because everyone ages, and technically for their disease, less than half the population has to have it, so aging can't count. So moving a little bit forward, um, we want to stay a healthy environment as long as we feel young physically and mentally, and our age doesn't matter. If you're 92 and you feel young and you're vibrant, the age, it, it doesn't really, it's just a number, right? And feeling younger, as he states here, than your age predicts lower mortality and better cognitive abilities later in life. So a lot of times middle-aged men and older often report that they feel 10 to 20 years younger than their age because they still feel healthy. And this is what actually has been shown to lower mortality by itself and also better cognitive abilities later in life. So that is essentially 
the blind epidemic chapter where we want to really consider aging as a disease and something that is not inevitable to us. And that ends up wrapping up part one of lifespan, why we age and why we don't have to. Part two is going to be a lot more interesting. We're going to be talking about what we're learning right now. And he gets into the cool stuff like caloric restriction, metformin, NAD, resveratrol, exercise, rapamycin. All these cool things are going to be coming up in part two. So make sure to tune in. So I hope, again, you enjoyed. I hope you realize that aging is a disease and that we need to be focusing more on aging and solving aging instead of these single diseases. And again, I hope you learned something and I hope you enjoyed. If you enjoyed, make sure to leave a review. If there's a book that you want me to cover, go ahead and send a DM. I'll post my Instagram in the description below and make sure to tune in next time.